I, I don't know, I was probably second, third grade, something like that, maybe, maybe fourth grade. Uh, and our church had a youth party. I don't know what we were celebrating. Maybe we just had a party because we wanted to have a party. But, uh, but, but we had all kinds of stuff, had food. We were doing, had, had a bunch of games. And, and then they played this one game. It was, it was a game to see who could identify their mother. Uh, and what they did is they took all the moms of, of the kids that were there that day, put them in a room. They, they hung up a, a couple sheets and, and, and clipped them together. And then they had all the moms stick one of their hands through the sheet. So all you could see was their hand, unless you cheated like some of them tried to do. But, but all you could see was their hand. And the goal was, or the game was for all the kids to pick out which hand belonged to their mom. So all the moms stuck their hands out. All of us kids clouded up there. And I, and I hope that I don't seem too arrogant here, but I was the first one to pick out my mom's hand. I did it immediately. Because when I saw all those hands with fingers moving around, I knew my mom's immediately because my mom's hand was, um, none of you know her, you probably won't see her, so you won't tell her I said this, but uh, it was a little bit red and chapped and puffy um, from doing dishes, and that was before she had a regular washing machine, so it was the the old laundry, some of you people know the old uh, washing machines where you had the hands-on type stuff, uh, and she had some freckles on her hand. So I saw that, that red, puffy, chapped hand, and I knew immediately that's my mom's hand. Uh, maybe I'd seen it before she was doing, no, she, dad did that, but, uh, uh, but so I picked it out immediately. And, and what kind of threw me, what kind of surprised me is that there were so many people, so many of the kids my, my age that, that weren't picking out their mom's hands. You know, they, they were guessing wrong. And I'm sitting there looking at, I, I knew Mona Knox's hand. Mona was my mom's best friend, my, my best friend Randy's mom. Her hand looked just like my mom's, red and, Mona was a little bit bigger lady, and her hand was a little puffier, whatever. Uh, and she didn't have freckles. But I put, that's Mona's hand. And, and I, I knew Dot Bechtel's hand. Dot Bechtel's hand was long and slender and manicured, and it was the only one that had painted nails. Well, that's Dot's hand. And, and I, I, I caught Mrs. Gaby's hand, because Miss Gaby was just a little bitty lady, and uh, it looked like a kid was sticking their hand through, through that. So that's Miss Gaby. Plus... She was a nervous lady, still is today, a very, very nervous lady. So her nails were all chewed off. And I'm like, well, that's Miss Gaby's hand. And, and it was, I, I was just shocked that they, they weren't getting it. Uh, Randy picked out Miss Gaby's hand. And I'm thinking, really, Randy? Your mom's twice the woman, literally, that Mrs. Gaby is. And you picked her hand. And then, and, and then Frank picked out Mona's hand. And I thought, man, you are good. Frank Bechtel, his mom was the dot, the, the manicured hand. I thought, you're going to be in so much trouble if your mom realized that's the hand you picked out instead of the manicured, nail-painted hand. Uh, th- this morning, we're going to look, uh, we're going to look in Mark chapter 8. And, and what we see there, the, the reality is, is, is we see a group of guys that had been with Jesus, and at this point, at least two years to two and a half years, so, so they really were coming towards the end of their time with Jesus. Just six to eight months later, Jesus would go to the cross. So, so they'd been with him for two to two and a half years. They had seen all the stuff that he had done, but they, they somehow were missing it. It was right there in front of them. It was obvious who he was. And, uh, and, and yet they couldn't quite, they couldn't quite understand or, or get, uh, that, that it was Jesus, that He was the Messiah. Now, when we read the Gospel of Mark, when we read any of the Gospels, 
it jumps off the page to us. We, as, as we start in Mark chapter 1, immediately we're seeing, we're like, well, obviously he's the Messiah. Uh, but, but they were missing it. But there's good news. There's good news. Jesus is recognized. We're, we're going to look this morning in Mark chapter 8. And this text uh, actually has three seeds, if you will, three separate sections. They're, they're back to back to back. They're chronologically the same, just moments separating the, the three seeds. We're actually going to look at two of them today and one of them next week. But we'll look at these three scenes. And, and what we're going to see in the first one is that, uh, that ultimately Jesus asks a couple questions and, and, and Peter answers, you're the Christ. He says, well, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, uh, son of the living God. And, and he figures out that, that he's the Messiah. And then actually Jesus, if you look in the, the Matthew account, Jesus affirms what he said. Basically Jesus is saying, yeah, you're right, I am. So even, to that point, they probably had thought he was, they had hoped that he was, they had dreamed that he was the Messiah, but they still weren't sure, but now it's, it's out there. That, that, that's, that's totally out there, and they know, yep, he is the, the, the Messiah. The, the second scene, what happens in it is, is what they didn't expect the Messiah to say. So, so he says, hey, I am the Messiah, basically, and the second scene just totally flips upside down what they thought he would say next, because ultimately he ended up say, saying there, well, I'm the Messiah, but I'm, uh, I'm going to be abused. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified and three days later raised. That's not what they were expecting. The third scene, uh, uh, as much as that blew them out of the water, the third scene, and we'll look at that next week, blows them out of the water even more, because the third scene we see Jesus calling us to commitment. So if you have your Bibles... Look with me in Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 27. Notice, and you'll catch it, these three scenes as they unfold in Mark chapter 20, uh, Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 27 through the end of the chapter. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about Him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that He must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. But when Jesus turned, uh, but when Jesus turned and looked at His disciples, He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You, you do not have the, in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose his life for me and for this gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for a soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory uh, and with his holy angels. The first thing we see here is that we, we see the, uh, the apostles, we see those that are following Jesus, finally recognizing the person. They're, they're recognizing who Jesus is. Now it comes out of the fact that he, he stated it, but, but they recognized that he was the Messiah. Uh, the scripture says that they were on their way to Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was about 24, 25 miles from the Sea of Galilee, about, uh, about 20 miles from, from, uh, 
Bethsaida, where, where we were at last week. Uh, so they're taking this 21, 20, 24, 25 mile journey, uh, to the north, uh, and, and as they're walking on, and, and I can imagine that they're, that as they're walking, Jesus is talking. It's not recorded here what he's saying, but, but I imagine as they're walking, he's teaching them and he's talking about, about what's going to happen and he's, he's, he's telling them parables. And, and as he's walking along, he asks them a question. He asks them an easy question. Uh, Jesus was good at asking questions that led somewhere else, and that's what's happening here. He asked this, this simple question. It was a question that didn't require any kind of commitment. It was a question that really for, for the didn't require any, require any thought on their behalf. This is what he says. Who do people say that I am? Now, the, the, the disciples, when Jesus taught, and, and remember we, we, we've been talking here recently how every time that Jesus preached, there were crowds. There was always groups of people that were there with him. And, and this, uh, when that happened, oftentimes the, the, the apostles would have been on the edge of those crowds. They would have been at, at, at the outside of that. And they would have been hearing what people were saying. And so that's partly, now he's leading them somewhere else, but that's partly why he asked them, because they had heard. They had heard people talk about you know, who, uh, who, who they thought he was. And, and so the text tells us that, that the, the, the disciples begin to answer. One of them says, and maybe it was John, maybe John hollered out, well, someone says that, I heard him say you're John the Baptist. Now, now why would they think he was John the Baptist? Well, a couple reasons. Scripture had prophesied of John. Uh, John's ministry was in Judea, which was down around Jerusalem. This was up north of Galilee. And so these people, some of them might have seen John the Baptist. Maybe they had been in Jerusalem and they had heard him speak. More than likely, most of them had just heard about John. So maybe, maybe they didn't realize that John had been beheaded. Uh, or maybe they, they knew that he was and they thought Jesus had come back to life. Uh, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. So maybe they looked a little bit alike. And they thought, well, he doesn't dress like John the Baptist. Maybe he finally got rid of the, the camel-haired coat and, and the wild hair and eating locusts and wild honey and, and, and a little more civilized now. So, so maybe some of them thought, wait, I saw him and he kind of looks like him. Maybe that's why they said, someone else piped up. Maybe it was Matthew hollered out, I heard someone say Elijah, that they thought you were Elijah. Over in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says this, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. They knew that prophecy that Elijah was going to come. Now the reality is that prophecy is probably referring to John the Baptist, not to Jesus. Uh, but, but maybe that's what they were thinking. Or maybe they thought, they knew that Elijah in, uh, in 2 Kings, I believe it was chapter 2, had, had not seen death, but had gone up in a fiery, a fiery chariot uh, up to heaven. So maybe they thought, well, if he never died, he could come back again. So some of the people were saying Elijah, and and then maybe uh, maybe Bartholomew hollered out, "Well, well, some of them say you're one of the other prophets," uh, and and we're we're told there that they hollered different things. But he's asking this easy question because it's really leading to the question that he wants to ask, and it's the important question. He asks, secondly, ask a pivotal question. See, this question was going to require some soul searching. This. This question couldn't be answered lightly. Uh, the, the, the truth is, this is a question that, that Jesus asked of all of us. It's a question that he's asking the today. 
We can't get away from this question. We can't distance ourselves from this question. We can't ignore it. As if Jesus is looking us straight in the eye and he's asking us, just like he did his disciples, this question. He says, but, but what about you? See this pivotal question. What about you? Who do you say that I am? The question that we really have to answer. It was important for them. That's why he led them that direction. But isn't that the question? Everything we do, the course of our life, the decisions we make, the people that we become, the passions that we follow, the priorities that we set, the legacy that we leave, all of these hinge on this one simple question. But what about you? But what about you? Who, who do you say that I am? When, uh, when Jesus asked the easy question, uh, everyone answered. You know, all the apostles were, were hollering answers out. But when he asked the, the pivotal question, the tough question, it got quiet. I, I imagine as they were walking down the road, you could hear the, the gravel crunching under their feet or the, or the weeds if they were walking. You, you could probably hear that because it was quiet as they continued to walk because everyone was afraid to answer. Well, of course, everyone but Peter because Peter's never afraid to, to, uh, to answer. And, and so Peter, Peter hollers out and, and the reality is maybe they'd been thinking about it. They, they probably had been talking about it. But Peter responds, you are, you are the Christ. Matthew says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's like, it's like when, when he said that, the scales came off their eyes. The, the blinders came off. And what they thought was the case was suddenly, was suddenly there. They, they saw Jesus for who he was. Now let me suggest this, that they had been with Jesus, as I mentioned, for almost two and a half years. And they really hadn't 100% grabbed hold of the fact that he was the Messiah. And I guess I can understand that. I guess I can see, at least a little bit, why, why this group of fishermen, this group of uh, with tax collectors in it and zealots, this dysfunctional group of guys, uh, I, I can get why they didn't understand. Even though... They had seen evidence. They had seen the evidence of Jesus' power. His power over nature, His power over disease, His power over demons, His power even over death. And they'd seen the power of His preaching. It was a preaching that, that confused them and confounded, confounded the religious leaders, but comforted those masses that came to Him. Part of the, part of the reason that they didn't quite get that it was Jesus was that they had a doubt in their, their hearts. See, see, these guys had grown up hearing their grandfathers talk about the Messiah. These guys had grown up hearing their fathers talk about someday the Messiah was going to come. They, they'd grown up in the synagogues and, and they'd, they'd always heard about this message that someday the Messiah was coming. And when he did, he was going to set things right. He was going to restore Israel to its rightful place. He was going, he was going to, going to out the Romans and usher in God's power once again. And, and they had heard about that. And I know they had to be thinking if Jesus is the Messiah, then, then he wouldn't choose me. They, they wanted to hope that he was who he was, but, but why would he choose me? Why, why would 
why would the Messiah choose me to be in this inner circle? Why would the Messiah choose me to be one that represented him? And, and I think that was their, their struggle. Not long ago, I spoke with a person, and, and this person was going through a very difficult time, and, and I tried to, to talk them and, and to assure to them that they were loved by Jesus. And, and I ended up making a statement something like this. I said, well, when, when Jesus went to the cross, he was thinking about you. He, he loves you, and he's got a plan for your life, and he can change the course of your life. And, and, and I finished off saying this. I want you to know Jesus chose you. And when I said that, I could see this person. I could see the, the, the I could just see the wheels spinning in their head, and and it and it was pretty obvious that doubt was winning out. And I'll never forget their response. They said, "Yeah, but you don't know me, and you don't know what I've done, and you know don't know where I've been, and you don't know the person that I really am. Why, why would Jesus choose me? I." I think one of the reasons they struggled to know the true identity of Jesus was because these guys felt that very same way. Why would the Messiah choose me? They might have, they, they might have even doubted themselves. Uh, well, I wouldn't even recognize the Messiah. And, and, and we see that. We, we've looked at that over the last few weeks. Matthew chapter 4, verse 41. When Jesus calmed the sea, did, did they jump up and praise? No, they, it says in verse 41 that they were terrified. Uh, when Jesus came, talked about this last week, when he came out walking on the water, when they saw him there, were they like, yeah, Jesus, we need you to come? No. It says they were terrified. And then Jesus goes on and describes him, and says, well, your heart's hardened. Later on, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 8, or in Mark chapter 8, verse 17, says, are your hearts hardened? And in verse 21 says, you still don't understand? See, I think part of them, were they were seeing Jesus they weren't recognizing that he was there because they thought, I, I can't recognize him. Karl Barth was a famous theologian in, in the 20th century. He, he lived in Basel, Switzerland. One day he was on a streetcar and, and a guy at one of the stops got on the streetcar and he began to converse with him and talk with him. And, and, uh, and he asked him, well, are, are you from Basel? And the guy said, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just here visiting. And so he began to ask him questions like, well, what do you hope to do when you're here visiting our city? And, and the guy said, you know what I really want to do? What I really want to do is I want to meet the famous theologian Karl Barth. Um, and Karl Barth said, really? And the guy said, do you know him? And Barth says, well, as a matter of fact, I do. In fact, I shave him every day. <laughs> the guy was excited, and as he got off at the next stop, Barth said, he heard him saying, I just met Karl Barth's barber. <laughs> he, he was right there in front of him. But he didn't see. That's kind of what, that's kind of what was happening here. But that all changed when Jesus asked this question. It changed because the, the blinders came off. It was obvious who he was when he asked this question. But what about you? But what about you? Who do you say that I am? The first scene is they recognize the person of Jesus. The second scene, uh, they, they were forced to recognize the, the path of Jesus. Tori, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you tie a balloon? Okay, if you blow that up and tie that for me. No pressure. I've got a second one if you mess that one up. So, uh, just in case. Uh, they, must have been, uh, they must have been thrilled when finally, it, when Peter said, you're the Christ, and Jesus confirmed that. 
Hey, good job. They must have been thrilled when when Jesus confirmed that he was the Messiah. I imagine they looked at one another and like, wow, what what does this mean? What are wow, what are the possibilities? Wow, we're right in the middle of this. Wow, we, we are his representatives. Jesus has been with us for two and a, this is amazing. I imagine they thought to themselves, we should throw a party. We should throw a party. Excuse me, my prop is falling apart here. We should throw a party. And this is what happens. You should have expected that. Come on. Jesus popped their balloon. Because the next thing he says, if I jump, it's because I poked myself. Next thing Jesus tells them, even before they had time to celebrate, before they had time to ask questions, before they could revel in this new revelation, Jesus, uh, Jesus talks about a, a hard teaching. He presents a hard teaching. If you have your Bibles, look with me there in 31 to 32. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and must be killed and after three days raised again. He spoke plainly about this. Uh, rejected by the chief priests, the elders, the teachers. The, these guys had grown up being told that those were the ones they were to respect. Respect the, the chief priests. Respect your elders. Respect the teachers of the law. When you go to the synagogue, these guys know who God is and they teach about God. Respect them. And now Jesus is saying, right after it's, it's revealed definitively that I am the Messiah, the next thing he says is, oh yeah, everyone that you respected before, they're going to, uh, they're going to re- reject me. And in case, in case we think he wasn't, they, they weren't understanding. Mark kind of throws this in. Mark says, and, and he taught this plainly. Uh, he, he didn't use parables. He, he wasn't using riddles here. He taught it plainly. Now they didn't get it. We know that. He, he did it like three different times and they still never got it. But, but right after I'm the Messiah, he pops their balloon. Uh, at the end of my, end of my sixth grade year, um, it was the last week. I, I, I remember hearing a kid named Junior Minor talking on the, the playground. Junior was in seventh grade, so he was at the end of his seventh grade. He was in my sister Cindy's class. And he was out on the playground one day, kind of holding court, and he was talking about how great next year was going to be when he was in eighth grade because the teacher, Mrs. Reeves, was his aunt. And next year was going to be great because he was going to be the teacher's pet. Next year was going to be great because he could get away with everything. Next year was going to be great because he might not even have to do his homework. Do we have any teachers here that have taught uh, nieces or nephews? And you probably know what's going to happen next. I, I remember it was the probably about the end of the first week of school the next year, next school year, the, the next August. And we were on the playground. And, uh, uh, and Junior Minor was there holding court again. And, and I remember what he said that day. It was, this is terrible. I can't wait till this school year is over. This is going to be the worst year of my life. And someone asked him what happened. He said, well, I went in class the first day, and I said, hey, Aunt Shirley. And I tell you, she about ripped my head off. And she informed me that she was not Aunt Shirley. She was Mrs. Reeves. In fact, she made me write on the board a hundred times, Mrs. Reeves, Mrs. Reeves, Mrs. And, and, and I was talking one time, and she yelled at me, and and not only that, when I got home, she had already called my mom and tattled on me. 
And so I got whooped at home too. I was, this is going to be a terrible year. It wasn't, wasn't what they were expecting. Jesus presents a very hard teaching. They thought, wow, the Messiah, this is going to be great. Uh, and, and, and then, oh, Peter again, you, you have to respect him. You got to, you got to love Peter because he's the one when no one else would answer. When Jesus asked, who do you say to him? It was Peter that said, you're the Christ. It was Peter that stepped out and, and, and took the plunge there. And, and if you read the Matthew 16 account of this, Jesus goes on to say, yeah, you're Peter and you'll have the keys of the, of the kingdom and you're the rock and on this rock. Now he wasn't talking about Peter, but on this rock, I'll build my church and, and had that wonderful moment. And, and we're told here that Jesus says this and no Peter pulls Jesus aside, grabs him by the arm and pulls him aside and, and begins to rebuke him. Now I don't know exactly what it was. I don't know exactly what he said. Uh, maybe, maybe he said, Jesus, you've got this all wrong. See, see what's going to happen is you're going to ride into Jerusalem on a white horse. And us 12, we're going to be right behind you on white ponies. Uh, that, that's why it's going to, we're going to ride in, we're going to kick Rome out, and uh, you're going to be on the throne, we're going to be all around you. Later on, they argued on who got to sit to his right and left. But uh, that, Jesus, that's what's going to happen. Or, or, or maybe he said this, maybe he said, Jesus, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite understand. I know you, te- you, you talk in parables all the time. and This didn't seem like a parable, but, but it must be because this doesn't make sense. And could you tone it down a little bit because you're scaring the guys? You know, we're getting a little bit nervous with what you're saying. Can you tone it down and, and get rid of that kind of talk? Maybe that's what he said. Or, or maybe he just simply said, you're wrong. There's not, there's not going to be suffering or rejection or hard times or trials or heartaches. or You're the Messiah. This is supposed to be easy. This is supposed to be painless. This is supposed to be joyful. This is supposed to be rewarding. This is supposed to be a cakewalk, Jesus. It's not supposed to be tough. But see, Jesus wanted them to recognize, just as he wants us to recognize, that the path, the path that leads to to salvation, the path that leads to forgiveness, the path that leads to grace, the path that leads, leads to hope, that path also leads to the cross. So he presented a, a hard teaching and, and, and then he presented a hard reality. Because uh, he pulls Peter aside. Now, now remember, this is literally just moments after uh, he, he praised Peter for answering correctly, you're the Christ. Moments after that, he, 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 he says Peter to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Uh, you, you don't have in mind the things of God, but instead the things of men. That was a hard reality. Church, let me suggest that the, the path that Jesus walked to the cross and, and the path that He then presents to us, for us sometimes is a hard reality as well. The, the truth is, more times than we would like to believe it, we're a little bit like Peter. Because Jesus tells us what the path is going to be like. He tells us what it's going to look like. And we rebuke Jesus. We pull Him aside and say, Jesus, you've got that all wrong. On, on a whole host of 
social issues. We get all mixed up and messed up. And, and, and we sometimes as Christians and certainly uh, churches will stand up to Jesus and say, no, Jesus, you've got it all wrong. It's a woman's right to choose. Don't you know that? It's her body. She can do with it what she wants. Jesus, let me rebuke you on this one because you've got it wrong. Or we might, we might look at Jesus with Jesus on this whole host of sexual issues. Jesus, you've got it wrong. Let me rebuke you there because because whatever feels good, whatever makes you happy, that's really okay, Jesus. You've got it wrong there, Jesus. Or or, or you've got it wrong, Jesus, doing what I want to do. What what makes me happy is, is the most important thing. Jesus, you've got it wrong. Jesus presented them a reality that was hard. Uh, and what we'll see next week uh, kind of brings it home. And this is where it ties it in. This is, this is where he takes the next step. And, and he talks about commitment. He talks about duty. He talks about, about what is going to be required of them and then also of us. Because in this next, ne- next uh, scene, we see Jesus uh, pointing out and helping them recognize his purpose. His purpose was to invite us to pursue him. And in doing so, to pursue Jesus... Because Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, then this is what you're going to have to do. It's what he said to them. It's what he says to us today. This is what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up the cross, and you're going to have to follow me. So next week, we'll look a little bit more about what that means for us. Our theme this year is to love God. To love God and to to love others we are called by christ to recognize his personhood and his path that led him to the cross he calls us to serve him and to serve others we'll talk a little bit more next week uh, about some of those opportunities but but maybe you've been noticing over the last the last few months that we're presenting opportunities, that we're, we're, we're throwing stuff out there saying, church, this is what we should do. Church, let's get involved here. Church, let's, let's leave the building and take our faith out into the world. Deb Pennell uh, Duncan mentioned that this morning, uh, an opportunity for us, and we'll talk more about that, an opportunity for us to say, you know, more than just I'm a Christian, but, you, you know, let me help someone that's hurting. Christ has called us called us to be his followers he's called us to be world changers to make a difference and, and, and so jesus asked that question um, he, he asked it of his disciples and it, it, it confused them for a while it stumped them for a while they weren't sure what to say for a while they were afraid to make the commitment for a while and it's the question that he really is asking you here today it's a simple question but it does require an answer but what about you what about you? Who do you say that I am? Let's bow. Father, we thank you for the, the simplicity of Scripture. Father, we thank you for the shocking things that we find there. Uh, the disciples thought once they realized that he was the Messiah that, wow, it was going to be wonderful, it was going to be great, it was going to be easy, and, and life was going to be such a blessing. And, and then they find out, no, that Jesus had to, had to suffer. He had to, to be rejected. He had to go to the cross. And the reality is they would suffer some of those same things. Father, uh, we thank you this morning that you give us power and strength.
Because we can't do that on our own. When you call us to a life of commitment, when you call us to a life of denial of ourself and, and of taking up a cross, Father, we, we can't do that of our own strength, but you empower us. Uh, Lord, help us always to look to you uh, and to look to others uh, as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. What about you? But what about you? Who do you say that I am? You have that opportunity, that question to answer today. And, and literally, it is a question that you answer, that is asked and you answer every day. As you get up and start your walk every morning, uh, what about you? Who do you say that I am?